0: The word of the Lord, Daniel 7, starting at verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which... Three of them fell, namely, that horn, which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one And he will intend to make alterations in time and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominion will serve and obey him, all the dominions. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Uh, Thanks be to God for his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your spirit this time to strengthen us, to help us better understand your kingdom, who you are, the Christ All of the things of you and how we should live in uh, such a wicked and perverse generation. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One of the main things that we have focused on in studying Daniel thus far is the chiastic structure of the Aramaic portion of Daniel, chapter 2 through 7, starting at chapter 2, verse 4, and through chapter 7. Uh, We've used that and we've heard that God's clear message to the nation. He's sovereign, nations are not. They rage, he laughs, he will crush and destroy. His dominion will be forever. The prideful will be humbled. God wins to the nations. There is, however, another structure that's happening within Daniel that is noteworthy and is very helpful for us to understand. If you're following the chronological narrative of Daniel chapters one through six are telling a story in sequence up to the end of Daniel chapter six and it says this so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian so there's Daniel making it all the way through to the Medo-Persian Empire and then all of a sudden, chapter 7, verse 1, changes the chronology and takes us back to the first year of King Belshazzar. Now, we paid very close attention to this in highlighting the value and importance of these, of the structures. Daniel wanted, through the power of the Spirit, something to be told. But he's drawing extra special attention to Daniel, chapter 7, because the chronology is goofed up. It's messed up. And because it's different, it's set apart, so we pay attention to it. It also begins now, if the first six, chap- six chapters are a narrative, starting at chapter seven through the end of chapter 12, it's now the prophecies, the visions. That's what dominates the rest of the, the, the book. Uh, Daniel's prayer life, the supernatural battle that's happening, and God revealing incredibly specific truth to Daniel, and in the end, sealing it in a scroll that is unsealed in the book of Revelation. So Daniel 7 is the hinge between the two. Not only is it the end of the chiasm, the end of the Aramaic portion, the message to the nations, the end of the, it's the transition to the prophetic visionary stuff going on. It's if God, in the old time scrolls could, you know, bolded this chapter, came in with a highlighter, highlighted it, circled it, made the font 30 to jump off the page. I'm telling you, there's 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 just I, I was thinking of any kind of illustration I could come up with. There's I, you just can't you, you, you can't illustrate the importance of Daniel chapter seven. Too much last week was focusing on the Son of Man Daniel 7 verse 13 the quote that Jesus wanted to be on his lips when they accused him of blasphemy charged him and took him to the cross he wanted to quote from Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 Daniel chapter 7 looks all the way back to Genesis 1 Daniel chapter 7 looks all the way forward to revelation. It's got beasts and judgments. It's got the spirit of God at work. It's got darkness versus light. It's got kingdoms. It's got specific prophecy. It's got real people, real things. It's got fulfillment. It's got partial. It's got everything. And there's a reason for it being so amazing. So we're going to dig in and see what Daniel saw. Okay? See what Daniel saw. Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 is actually worth pausing on. It's you know, when you see the beast, you want to kind of just skip past Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 and get to the nitty-gritty of the prophecy. But there's something particularly noteworthy of detail. We've already mentioned saying that it's the first year of King Belshazzar alerts us to ah, The timing's wrong on this. Let's pay attention to what's going on. But in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, Daniel is interpreting other people's dreams. Daniel is given interpretation and communicating it to the kings, right? to to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Now, though, Daniel himself gets the vision. Daniel himself gets the dream. Thinking of archaism, Daniel chapter two was the dream of the statues that Nebuchadnezzar got. Daniel was a young man. Some say maybe even still in his late teens, maybe early twenties, when he receives the dream from Neb, the interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar of the statue in Daniel chapter two. Now, he's late 70s-ish. We're not told exactly how old he is, but we know that the kingdom has been cruising for a long time. By the time Babylon falls, which is just a couple years after the first year of Belshazzar, he's been in exile over 60 years. Daniel has been. The first time we get this vision of kingdoms and kings, it's given to Nebuchadnezzar in the form of a statue. Now, Daniel himself gets it. And this becomes very important for prophetic perspective. The prophetic perspective in this is now God is revealing to Daniel more of how God views these kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar in his pride saw the statues, and rather than humbling himself before the Lord God, he took pride in it, built his own golden statue, and claimed praise for himself. Nebuchadnezzar did. These statues look beautiful, things made by hand, starting the gold, and even though there's a diminishing quality and character to the statue, for Nebuchadnezzar, he sees these beautiful kingdoms. Daniel, though, was given a gift of having more of God's perspective on these kingdoms. So, we're already excited to see what God has to tell us about the nations. Okay. So, Daniel, very similar, right, to, to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. He was laying in his bed. And he had dreams and visions that bothered his sleep. And then he wrote them down and related them. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts were coming out of the sea different from one another. So remember, the perspective that we're taking into this is God's perspective, God's perspective when we come in. And this is where we, this is where we're going to be kind of quick for this first part and we're going to take the time to spend the energy and the focus where God does in Daniel chapter seven. These beasts are coming out of what's called this great sea. And the four winds are stirring it up. Now, we're not gonna spend too much time, but in everything that's going on is detail. So for example, four, four winds, four beasts. We're accustomed to four in apocalyptic visions because there were four living creatures hovered around the throne. There were four directions, four corners to the earth. It's a very creaturely creation number. And out of this is this stirring up of the great sea. And it's hard for us because these are words. And so we're going to plead with God to give us his spirit to help us visualize this scene. We need to visualize it. Daniel's trying to communicate to us what he saw. And it was disturbing him. Disturbing him so much that at the end, after God gave him the meaning and the promise of victory, he was still disturbed by it. Okay? And so there's this sea. There's this great sea and the winds of heaven, so this isn't some kind of primordial enemy of God that challenges God's sovereignty. No, no, no. These winds actually come from heaven itself, but the winds are stirring up this mighty sea. And when I said that Daniel chapter seven jumps all the way back and references stuff from Genesis one, we do remember what creation looked like when God got things started. He was starting his creation and he wanted to emphasize his power and his ability to speak light into darkness. And so there was darkness and water covering the face of the earth. And in that, he says, let there be light. He is setting up the example that creation can be full of dark wickedness. It's it's something that if you're not having your eyes enlightened by the powerful God of the universe, you'll be afraid when you see it. It is definitely in, um, in this time period, their literature talked about beasts and creatures that would come out of the sea. There was much to be afraid of in this, in this picture. It's a picture of judgment and darkness and wickedness. And so the storm is brewing and out of this are beasts that rise up out of the sea. These beasts are coming out, out of the sea and they are so terrifying that Daniel can only describe what they're like. The first one isn't a lion, it's like a lion. The second one isn't a bear, it's like a bear. It's like a leopard. And then this fourth one comes out and he's like, ah, I don't even have a name for you. That's how wild these visions are, okay? It it is graphic. And it's by design, God communicating what the nation's are like this is this is where it gets hard for us to accept. This is one of the places it gets hard for us to accept. And it gets hard for us to accept that God can be at work sending the winds to stir up the oceans. And as He's doing this, these great beasts that are fearful and terrifying enemies of God are still his servants and they're still doing what he has established and appointed for them to do. And that's how this vision begins for us. Now, something very interesting in Revelation chapter 17, and by the way, we will be doing what everybody does and everybody should do and spend time looking at the book of Revelation. Um, In fact, when... um, when our uh, when our when our preacher friend pastor Bacham was 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 preaching through Revelation he took a break out of Revelation to spend weeks in Daniel so that his people could better understand the book of Revelation that's how tightly connected they are and and rightly so but in Revelation 17:5 I'm sorry Revelation 17:15 in this we're told that there's a sea where the harlot sits there's a great harlot and there's a sea And the sea are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. That's what the sea represents. So visualize the sea as the people of the world, the nations. And out of the nations rises these great beasts of men, these great kingdoms of men. We're told in the interpretation that they represent four kings. We're told specifically in Daniel chapter eight what two of these nations are. They're named the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire. We know that that's what two and three represent. We we have a very clear picture. This is difficult for us to accept, but it's also something to take comfort in. And um, I, I believe this. I believe this firmly. And if you haven't picked up on this yet and you've been around as we've been working through Daniel, then you haven't been paying attention. Um, I believe that the church will always suffer persecution until Christ comes to create the new heavens and the new earth. And I believe that because I believe that's when God's gospel is best on display. I believe God's victory is best on display when his people are faithful in the midst of persecution. And I believe that because that's what Christ established with his own life. And that's what we see established in Daniel. And... If we see things in a sequence, and I see Daniel having very specific visions, and I and I see a very tight sequence. Think of the statue. It went from gold to silver to bronze to iron and clay. Sequence of nations leading to the end when they're crushed by the stone. These beasts are four kingdoms. And then at the end of the four kingdoms, when the kingdoms are raging, the Ancient of Days comes onto the scene, and I'm gonna start prepping that scene right now. One of the... Most incredible images. I'm just going to hint it. Courts in session and the books are opened. The Ancient of Days comes. It is time. He shows up in the end of the most fearful, ravenous beast and establishes it. And we have to keep this in mind as we see the events unfold. I'm not pessimistic in the sense that I think that there's any kind of victory for any enemy of God, either short-term or long-term. I don't even think the short-term attacks on the church are victorious because I think the worst they could do to us is kill us. And when they do, the testimony to the gospel kicks Satan out of heaven. I think when they press and they and, and trials attack us and wear us down, we see God developing perseverance in us. So we're prepared to stand firm to the ones who overcome. And if there's time of blessing and respite, then we celebrate the God who gives us all good things. You throw throw us a circumstance, God gets the victory in it. God gets the testimony. So I'm not pessimistic at all. And at the same time, expect the nations to rage until they can't. And they won't be able to, The moment the books are opened and until the books are opened, until courts in session, until the judge has entered the room and announced it's done, they will rage and they will kick and they will fight. So expect it. Expect it on the grand scale and expect it on the small scale. Sure, there was a season, whatever season you want to call it, the 50s, right? The 50s in America and everybody's got the little... Families and their homes and the the dad goes working at the factory and the mom's staying home cooking and the kids are riding their bicycles and everybody has a house and a home and a car and all this stuff. And and everybody goes to church on Sunday and, you know, whatever kind of picture you think and we see that's happening. Even in the midst of that. America's a beast. Always has been. And always will be. China's a beast, always has been, always will be. Kingdoms of men are beasts, they're ravenous beasts, and there may be seasons where there are individuals within there that have righteousness or God uses for peace and prosperity, all these kinds of things, right? But the nations are vicious beasts who will trample underfoot God's people, Period. Now, intensity will ebb and flow until the Ancient of Days comes. Now, side note, think of Daniel. Daniel prospered in the kingdom of Babylon without compromise. In fact, he wanted to hear the words of Jeremiah. We know that Daniel spent time meditating on the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah told them to go to Be good, faithful citizens. And yet he defied many orders of the king. So we want to build up. We want to see our city thrive. We want to invest our time and talent and labor and our energies and our creative, everything God's made us to be. We want to invest all of that into our community. But make no mistake, make no mistake, we are in Babylon Always, everybody is. No matter what intentions, no matter what constitution may say, the beasts hate God. So, anyway, we're in this wild and crazy scene. Vicious. Vicious. Name one time that a powerful kingdom gets overthrown by another kingdom and there isn't violence. There's always violence, whether it's usually both internal and external. That's how it works. Christ tells us there are violent men attacking the kingdom of God. Christ Himself uses violence to overthrow the other kingdoms of the world. So He was the recipient of violence. We cannot overstate nor meditate too long on the foolishness of the cross. A violent act ushered in the kingdom of God. But that violence was not ushered in by Christ. It was received by Christ. Violent, wicked, perverse men handed Christ over to violent, wicked, perverse men and hung him on a tree to the cheers of violent, wicked, perverse men. The nations rage, and rage, and rage. And you think you think that you're 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 going to be better off than Christ when he was on earth? You're the disciple of the wrong man if you don't think that you're going to experience in some form of intensity, the same kind of thing. It requires violence. And that's why in the end, is there not violence in the end when he physically comes, when he physically returns? Yeah, there's violence. Cause judgment comes and there is an accounting and a reckoning that happens. So wild and crazy. Wickedness, violence, abominations, enter the first beast crawling out of the sea. The first was like a lion, like a lion, had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking at its wings, were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. So we know specifically in Daniel chapter 2, the golden head at the top of the statue was Nebuchadnezzar, king Nebuchadnezzar. We know that because the scriptures tell us that. So I enter this vision suspicious that this first beast is also Nebuchadnezzar and represents the kingdom of Babylon. That's one of the things that we take from Daniel chapter 2 that we need to bring into Daniel Daniel chapter 7 to help us evaluate it. The other thing that we need to take with us is that there there is a mixing between the word king and kingdom. So in the statue of four kingdoms, the first kingdom was Babylon. But Daniel, through his interpretation given by God, says specifically, you, O king, are the head of gold. And then three kingdoms come after you. There's a mixing between kings and kingdoms. Here's how we also know that. This second beast we're gonna look at is a bear that's made up of two peoples, Medes and the Persians. And we're told that in Daniel chapter eight. And yet here we're told that this is a vision of four kings. So just my point is don't get all caught up on kings or kingdoms. Um, Is not our kingdom a king? That's what we look forward to in our kingdom is the king. King, Kings and kingdoms are are, are tightly intertwined in here. So we're prepared to see Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon in this first lion and beast. And oh, by the way, in case we don't think that history defends what God has established. uh, In the early 1900s, they dug up called the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar built it. His great entrance gate. Can you guess what kind of beasts they see among the the paintings on the Ishtar Gate? They happen to see a lion with eagle's wings on the Ishtar Gate built by King Nebuchadnezzar. Ishtar, the pagan god, little g-god, is pictured with eagle's wings standing on lion's heads. That's what's being worshiped in Babylon. But remember, Babylon is still the reigning kingdom when this vision takes place. So this is being told to Daniel, why Babylon is in place. So clearly this first kingdom is Nebuchadnezzar. First king is Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom is Babylon. I'll tell you right now, I don't get caught in the weeds in any of this prophetic literature, I don't get caught in the weeds. Um, when it talks about wings were plucked, lifted up from the ground, made to stand on f- to feet like a man, a human mind. Most commentators see this parallel, paralleling the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and I think rightly so. His wings were plucked, his dominion was taken from him, and sovereignty, he spent seven years as a beast with a mind, and then it said that his eyes were lifted up to see heaven, and God raised him back up and gave him sanity to end his days singing his praises. I think it matches his life fine. If get to heaven and God tells us that he had something else in mind when he wrote this prophecy, I'd go, Cool. Sounds great, God. Um, that makes total sense to me. But 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 we see it and we know we know that there's specifics that can be traced. Alright, I wanna move to the rest of the bears quickly because this court's about to enter. Session. And that's where we want to spend our time. Behold, another beast, a second one in verse five, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side. Three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. And then after this, it kept looking in verse seven and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth that devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the rest of the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little horn came up to them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, the horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth, uttering great boasts. Now I read all that quickly because I love the interpretation. Daniel's all freaking out. He's having a hard time. We peek ahead in verse 15, it says that his spirit was distressed. These visions kept alarming him. So he approached one who was standing there and asking him the exact meaning. And then he told me the interpretation. It's not very many words. These beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. There you go, Daniel. That's the vision. Daniel's not satisfied because he keeps pressing more on that fourth beast. But we don't have to spend too much time digging into all the little details of this. But what we need to know is that this is exactly what happened. The Medo-Persian empire, the bears raised up on one side. There was one side of the Medo-Persian empire which is stronger than the other. Just like the ram with the two horns with one longer horn in Daniel chapter eight. The Persians were the strength of the Medo-Persian empire. It was two empires, but one side was stronger. That's the bear, that's the ram. Arise, devour much meat. Why does it have three ribs in its mouth? Maybe three, because three is a nice little perfect number. Maybe because it just shows that it's got so much. It doesn't need to devour one at a time. It can do three at a time. Maybe it's just graphic. Maybe there's actually flesh hanging off the bones in the vision. I don't know what's going on. All I know is that this is a terrifying bear who is ravenous, like a bear. So not even a real bear, remember? That's his best way to describe what he sees. And thus they said to it, and who's the they? Arise and devour much meat. I don't know. But there's a command that goes out to go devour this wicked bear-like monster, right? Third is like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. This is Greece. Funny enough, Greece is exactly like the Bible says it was. In fact, uh, young Alexander the Great conquered so much in the name of Greece so fast that it said that when he finished, he wept that there was no more lands to conquer. Alas, I'm but a boy, and there's nothing left to conquer, said poor Alexander. He's so speedy like a leopard, wings just flying out but he dies without an heir. Chapter eight will tell us more about that. So get ready for some fun details in chapter eight. And then four generals rise up in its place. In his place, there are four generals that rule in place of young Alexander when he dies. Four heads to the kingdom of Greece, exactly like scriptures say that's going to happen. And this is given... 300 years before this takes place in real time. The odds of that happening when we're talking nations is incredible. And then comes this fourth beast. And what's interesting is just some of the descriptions of this fourth beast. It's dreadful, it's terrifying, it's extremely strong, it has large iron teeth, it devoured, it crushed, It trampled down whatever was left over. Whatever these kingdoms haven't already consumed, this beast comes and finishes it off. And it was different though from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns and while I was contemplating the horns behold, another horn, a little horn came up. And three of the horns were pulled out by the roots before it and the horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. That's Let's keep this narrative moving, Alright, There's another great beast, but we are going to remember that this beast is not like all the others. It is different than the other beasts, and there's this horn uttering great boasts. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even creative enough or imaginative enough to to, to be able to, to to picture this. That's where the vision of the beast ends. Now, just track with me, please, this this vision. These terrible beasts consuming, everything's been trampled. Then this little horn rises up, uttering great boast against God himself. And then I kept looking, says Daniel, at verse 9, until thrones were established. The Ancient of Days takes his seat and his vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool and his throne was ablaze with flames and there were burn, wheels of burning fire and a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing and court sat, the books were opened. Now imagine this scene. Thousands upon thousands, too many to count in this chorus. In awe as the Ancient of Days comes with fire. Think of the the sea, the wild sea and the wind and the ravenous beast and how powerful they look. And he is not standing the Ancient of Days. He's seated. Because he has complete sovereignty over everything. There was nothing going on that surprises him. There was nothing going on that challenges him. And he sits. Books were opened. But now look at what verse 11 says. I kept looking because the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. That horn doesn't stop. The Ancient of Days peels back the sky and shows up with the court of judgment, and this little horn is running its mouth with boastful arrogance, it does not care. It does not care. Please consider that in the battle that we fight and what we wage war against. In the presence of the Ancient of Days, until he decides to reveal his glory, Court is getting established. Like everybody's entering the room. The bailiff's in. Everybody's coming in, sitting down. All right. You know, everything's happening. Right? He's seated and ready to go. And this boastful, arrogant, blasphemous horn, which we know is some kind of king. Ten kings. Ten toes at the end of the statue in chapter two. Ten kings and ten horns. And it's running its mouth. It does not care. So you think you think it's gonna respect you? Who are you? Who are you to step up? You're like you don't matter to Satan in anything that you are by yourself. You only matter to Satan because you are the jewel of Christ. You only matter to Satan because who you belong to. Because the, the the enemy is so rebellious, he doesn't care. Scripture would tell us he knows his time is short, and so he's going to run amok until there is no more mucking. I don't know. <laughs> Runs his mouth. Verse 11. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. So what's the result of court and judgment? This great, terrible beast, the worst of beasts? We're just told, slain, tossed in fire. That's it. No, you know, fear not, Daniel. I kept looking until the beast was slain, the body was destroyed, given to... And given to burning fire, and for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And then here comes the Son of Man. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven. So out of the sea crawls these vicious beasts, and then out of heaven, riding on the clouds of glory, comes the Son of Man. He comes up to the ancient of days and he's presented before him. You don't think Christ is God? You think God's seated in the throne room, the ancient of days, with everybody worshiping him, he's gonna present a creation to take his glory? No. He, the ancient My Son, Son of Man is presented, which we know is also giving God Himself glory. It's a beautiful triune picture. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Remember peoples, nations, and language? That's the sea. All of these people with these beasts coming out might serve the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. All right. Let's talk about a couple of things. To make this connection as tight as I can, Revelation chapter 13 speaks of a dragon in chapter 12, starts. Chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. This dragon just so happens to have seven heads and ten horns. And then there's a beast that comes up out of the sea. And this beast has ten horns and seven heads. Heads. Now, my math skills aren't always the best. Count the heads of the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. How many heads are there? The one like a lion, the one like a bear, that's two. Four for the leopard, that's six. And then one for the final beast, seven. There are seven heads to those beasts. How many horns? I'm not counting that little boastful one because there's something that happens. There are 10 horns to this final beast and 10 died, all this stuff that's going on, okay? So... I don't know all the details. I don't even know all the big picture, but I know the big picture. And there's, there's there's something I wanna suggest to you now in understanding prophetic, apocalyptic kingdom come kind of stuff. I believe these beasts were real beasts, represented real kings, real kingdoms. We've talked about it. There's a real detail and it's absolutely true. I also believe that they represent the kingdoms of man, hostile and angry to the kingdom of God. I think this fourth beast that's different than the others, but obviously clumped in with them, there's something strange that's happening and he comes and he's treated a little differently as well. And now we have this beast coming out of the seashore and I'm telling you, John knew Daniel. Not only is John getting inspired by the Holy Spirit, but John, when he writes this, is familiar with the book of Daniel. And you have a beast that has seven heads and ten horns in an apocalyptic, wild vision coming out of the sea. It had blasphemous names. But let me tell you what this beast looks like in verse 2. The beast, and this is Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, feet were like those of a bear. So like a leopard, like a bear, and its mouth was like the mouth of a lion. You were given three beasts that represent these vicious kingdoms of the world in Hateful, boastful rebellion against God, and they are a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And that's what this beast is like. Okay? We are to see a connection there. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because the dragon gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant and boastful blasphemies and authority to act for how long? Forty two months. Time, times and half a day. Time. same time period we're talking about in our passage in daniel chapter 7 and he opened his mouth to speak blasphemies against god to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven and it's given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them it was given to him the authority to war against the saints and over every tribe people tongue and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship him everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of life and the lamb who has been slain if anyone has a if anyone has an ear let him hear if anyone is destined for captivity to captivity he goes if anyone kills with the sword with the sword he must be killed here is the perseverance of the faith of the saints Here is the perseverance. These beasts that we we are told in Daniel chapter 7, we are told that this beast makes war. This beast is making war against the saints. Let me see. Anyway, and power and authority is given to the beast. In Revelation chapter 13, what we know is that power and authority is given to the beast by none other than the dragon himself. But remember, the dragon was given power and authority by God. So God's in control. And we'll, I'll end up making this a a part one and a part two. I was trying not to, but um, I just want to, I want us to stop on, on on this point of the perseverance of the saints. So the kingdom of God, the sovereignty of God, and the perseverance of the saints, and what it means to exist and to fight and to live. In the midst of a war between beasts and the Son of Man. And if anybody has ear, let him hear. Do you notice that this beast that comes out of the sea was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them? He's able to hurt the saints. I believe, because listen to what it says at the end. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. There is a destiny that we cannot fight against. And ours is to suffer for the kingdom of God. And in the midst of it, the perseverance of the saints is this, that it sounds like they're talking about the whole world and everybody and all of the time, but then there's something that happens, right? It says all who dwell on the earth versus those who have their names written in the book of the Lamb from the foundation of the world. So these beasts are raging and they're fighting. And in the midst of this rage and this fight, saints, you are called to persevere. You were called to persevere. I'm gonna jump into the end of Daniel chapter seven and it says that Daniel saw all these things, heard the victory of God and was still troubled. And I'm telling you, can you agree with me that it can be troubling to see and recognize what God is doing and to know what's coming? and to know he wins and yet still to walk faithfully in the midst of it, can that not be a troubling truth? It could be a troubling truth because we're still flesh and blood and we still wrestle with flesh and blood, even though our true battle is against spiritual forces of darkness. Today, there are saints who will be killed by the beast. Is there not? Is is there not saints that will starve to death because of hunger today? Yes, there are. Are there not saints who will be locked up in prison for their faith today? Absolutely. This picture of beasts. I do see things building and I see the manifestation of the beastly world system and whatever you want to call it, marks and all kinds of stuff. I see it becoming more evident and more in our face and more manifesting in front of us. But I think clearly there's a, just a picture of the enemy of God and God is in control over it. And the perseverance of the saints is to know who wins and to determine that you're not going to love your life even under death. And the The nations have the authority of Satan himself. It's why it matters how you live today when the nation demands you worship it. It matters. State worship is Satan worship, which is self-worship, which is boastful rebellion against God. There's a wound, a fatal wound that's been healed. Do you know anybody that has a fatal wound, a head crushed by a heel, that is done and yet still is flopping around because he knows his time is short that kind of authority that wounded fox in a corner authority is his they you don't understand the rage of the enemies of god when we sit and eat and even even we labor there are sometimes we go out to evangelize or to stand at a mill and it's actually a peaceful time of fellowship and enjoying the sun and we And it's easy to forget that there are enemies hating us, watching us. Because they know their time is short. They know their end. So the perseverance of the saints is to know that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't have to take vengeance on the fool that hates you because vengeance is mine saith the lord this came out when we were talking to that young lady Kathy at the at, at the mill she she said she she kept talking about like she wants happiness now she wants vengeance now she wants justice now for all these things if there's a man that rapes a person or does a thing or, or some or, or, or a, a guy who gets a lady pregnant and then bails she wants justice for that guy now and we say yeah we agree but you do know that he's going to have to answer to the Lord for what he's done. Ah, I don't care about that. No, you don't. You don't understand. He's seated in the throne. The courts are called into session. The books are open. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Ours is to do. Ours is to walk. Ours is to be faithful. Ours is to worship him. And if you're destined, if you see people destined for captivity and captivity happens, it happens. Does Daniel not know that better than anybody else? Jeremiah said, uh, get ready to go to captivity. And all of it is like, Jeremiah, you doomsday, woe is you kind of person. We're we're not going to exile. We're God's people. Everything will not be okay. You're going to exile. Get ready. Everything's going to be okay, folks. Pay no attention to the crazy man that just climbed out of the well. Do not worry about him. Everything's going to be okay. We just have to stick together. Uh, you're going into captivity. Sometimes you go into captivity. Sometimes you're delivered. Sometimes you're slain by the sword. I love the language here. With this, If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Those violent beasts that are slaying people will give an account for what they've done, for the blood guilt that they've shed upon <coughs> The land. Daniel chapter 7 in the ancient of days and the connection to Revelation 13 and others is a promise to persevere. That there is absolutely nothing that we could see happening that's outside of the plan and the will of God. That the four winds of God are not stirring up against the nations who rage against him. Who's, he's already fatally wounded and They know their time is short, but according to his plan, he has not yet brought it to fruition. And the son of man is reigning and kingly with all authority. And as he sits and as they do their thing, they know their time is short. Time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. They don't get seven years. They don't get the full seven. They want seven. They want complete. They don't get it. They get cut off. Their wrath is cut short by God, and so they're going to do what they can in the midst of it until they get dumped into the fire with every other created thing that they can drag with them because they know that everybody who does that is, they they think somehow they're winning when they do that, and they forget that they always lose no matter what they do. So ours is to go preach the gospel, proclaim the truth and the kingdom of God until he returns, and to uh, not love our lives even unto death, whatever that faithfulness may look like. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your words. We thank you for these visions that are more than we can fathom, that are just too big, too great. Um, We pray that you keep us from falling away. Father, we pray that you strengthen us to be overcomers, to those who will persevere. And uh, we pray that you help us to see and recognize the beast what he is, and who they are, and what it is, Um, and that you give us the strength to stand firm. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.